Greetings once again, and thank you for joining us here at Republic Broadcasting Network. <clears throat> I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, your host for the next one hour, and you are listening to Datum Line. This is August 4th, 2013. In our last Datum Line broadcast, entitled Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 18, we introduced the legal tender United States Notes, or Lincoln Greenbacks, as they're often called, of the Civil War period, from yet a third perspective in our examination of the congressional debates from 1861 to 1862. What has not yet been revealed in our treatment of the subject is the significance of these debates, as related by someone who ought to know. Quote, It was the most momentous financial step ever taken by Congress, as it is the one concerning which the most pronounced and even exasperating difference of opinion was manifested at that time, has since continued, and will probably never entirely subside so long as the government keeps one legal tender note in circulation, end quote. Those were the prophetic words of James G. Blaine, who served in Congress from 1861 to 1881, and which appear in his substantial literary work of 1884, entitled Twenty Years of Congress, at Volume 1, page 411. We'll be getting to Mr. Blaine's perspective <clears throat> on the legal tender debates in our next broadcast. But meanwhile, it's a pitiful commentary on our modern times that mainstream media can direct the public's perpetual focus on tomorrow's political and economic sunrise so as to obscure yesterday's ominous sunset, which so clearly foretold of the storm approaching from the west not from the east. <clears throat> the prophet Jeremiah, writing about 600 B.C., experienced a similar situation when trying to point our ancestors in the right direction, which, to their consternation, was not in front of them, in a figurative sense, but behind them. I'm referring to Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, wherein we read, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Now who, in his right scientific mind, as a high-tech evolutionary specimen of Darwinian excellence, would believe that the answer to our present-day political and economic problems lay somewhere behind us? You want to read the observations of early American statesmen? the Constitution and the Bible, when we have Fox News, CNN, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today? What? Are you crazy? Well, these may not have been the exact words used by Jeremiah's critics 2,600 years ago, but the spirit behind them was identical. Here's what they said. Quote, We will not walk therein. Well, likewise, in his inaugural address, Bill Clinton showed a similar contempt for lessons and experience learned from the past when he said, Ours is a generation that does not look back, which is why Americans are so easily led to the slaughterhouse by social engineers working for the Rothschild Rockefeller Group. Now, new listeners to Datamline will find that we don't grovel at the feet of mainstream media in search of truth and understanding. Rather, we look to the past, 
so as to compare the principles we left behind with the nonsense that now passes from modern understanding and intellectual prowess. In our last message concerning the legal tender greenbacks of the Civil War era, it was A. Barton Hepburn who provided the perspective in his book, Contest for Sound Money, which was published in 1903. Now, since Mr. Hepburn was the vice president of Chase National Bank in 1903, a bank created under the National Banking Act proposed 40 years earlier by the Lincoln administration in 1863, it was no surprise that a measure of bias found its way into his book. Nevertheless, Mr. Hepburn provided useful observations, which we added to those of Edwin Vieira in his book, Pieces of Eight, published in 2002, and Professor Edwin Kemmerer in his book, Money, published in 1935, from previous broadcasts in this series. And we'll be joined by James G. Blaine in 20 Years of Congress, published in 1884, who, in our next message, will begin to clarify the picture even more as a member of Congress during those deliberations of 1861-2. to It's my hope that regular listeners have already gained useful insight from these and other messages, allowing them to see more clearly how America was radically transformed from a constitutional republic with a free enterprise system of lawful money conforming to biblical standards into a socialist, centrally planned, and regulated economic system of 100% credit. Of equal importance is that listeners have begun to see the folly of nationalizing the Federal Reserve pursuant to the populist economic platform which seeks to preserve every unlawful aspect of our present central banking system. Intangible credit, be it superintended by a federal or private central bank, is pivotal to the emerging tyrannical police state. To see where we're headed requires that we know the past from which we began this evolutionary journey from money to credit. America's point of economic departure began in 1690 when Massachusetts issued its first bills of credit. The present-day Federal Reserve System is a work in progress, and its unwitting adversaries labor to establish its next phase, nationalization. There were several important waypoints between 1690 and today where important heading changes were made to correct for anticipated or perhaps unanticipated political and economic wind drift. The Civil War period was one of the most critical waypoints in developing a credit system by which the world has subsequently become its slave. I've omitted many of the more esoteric nuances introduced by various acts of Congress over the past 225 years in an effort to paint a sufficiently clear picture in a relatively short space of time. Regular listeners received a heads-up on today's subject over the course of several earlier messages in this series devoted to the many economic myths which gained traction among various critics of the Federal Reserve System. We ended our last broadcast by quoting various members of Congress as they argued over how to best violate the Constitution in order to meet the economic needs of an unconstitutional war. It was Attorney General Judge Jeremiah S. Black from Pennsylvania 
who submitted an opinion letter to President Lincoln, dated November 20, 1860, stating that he could find no express or implied constitutional power for Congress to wage war against the South or to encourage strife and enmity in any way. He said, There was, undoubtedly, a strong and universal conviction among the men who framed and ratified the Constitution that military force would not only be useless, but pernicious as a means of holding the states together. End quote. He concluded his remarks with these words, quote, If this view of the subject be correct, as I think it is, then the Union must utterly perish at the moment when Congress <clears throat> shall arm one part of the people against another for any purpose beyond that of merely protecting the general government in the exercise of its proper constitutional functions. This, taken from 20 Years of Congress, by James G. Blaine, Volume 1, page 605, published in 1884. The Union as many perceived that union prior to the Civil War, came to an end as a consequence of that war. <clears throat> I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you are listening to Datum Line. this segment of Datum Line. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, your host. Today's message is entitled Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 19 in our ongoing series. On the other side of our first break, I had quoted from Judge Jeremiah S. Black, a former judge of Pennsylvania, as Attorney General to Abraham Lincoln. Now, he had been appointed by President Buchanan before him. And he had said that when Congress armed one part of the people against another, that the Union would surely perish. Now, uh, that Union, as I mentioned earlier, uh, according to many people, did in fact perish when the federal government gained ascendancy over its own creators, the states, and the people thereof. Now, this was brought to fruition by the unconstitutional legal tender acts now under review and by the Federal Reserve System, which was created only 48 years after that war ended. You see, whoever wields the power to create artificial money out of absolutely nothing and compel its acceptance by the people is sovereign over those people. Now, our last broadcast ended by quoting a few heated exchanges between members of Congress during the legal tender debates of 1861 and 62. The final outcome of those debates, which aided a revolution more insidious than the one fought at Bull Run, Chancellorsville, or Appomattox. It was a revolution waged by powerful banking families of Europe and their allies here in America against lawful money and the common man, a revolution that raged beyond the general perception 
of a distracted public from 1690 to present day. Now, that being said, let's now reintroduce Mr. Morrill of Vermont, a representative from Vermont, who characterized the Legal Tender Act as, quote, a measure not blessed by one sound precedent and damned by all, end quote. Now, can you imagine officials in Washington today using such words to describe present-day Federal Reserve notes? You see, the Civil War greenbacks would at least display a promise of future payment, a promise that was deleted from both Federal Reserve notes and United States notes 102 years later, the year 1963, only a few days after the JFK assassination. What a coincidence. And it was the first time in U.S. history that a note, a circulating note, would no longer bear the promise to pay money at a future time. And it continues to the present day. Most of the people probably in my audience have never seen promissory notes in circulation. Now, Senator William P. Fessenden of the state of Maine, my home state, expressed back in 1861 to his colleagues a point of view that some of our listeners might find rather chilling. He suggested that if an absolute necessity could be proven to justify giving those greenbacks the imprimatur of legal tender, he would, quote, take the money, now that's gold or silver now, take the money of any citizen against his will to sustain the government, if nothing else was left, and bid him wait until the government could pay him. It is a contribution which every man is bound to make under the circumstances, he says. We, that being Congress, we can take all the property of any citizen, end quote. Wow. <laughs> so if you happen to hold an antiquated view that our constitutional form of government was established for the purpose of protecting its citizens, this senator from my home state of Maine shatters that illusion with the claim that we are duty-bound to yield all property to the state if and when our representatives in malfunction junction declare that a state of emergency exists. Now, that was 152 years ago. How many officials in Washington today see you, the public, as their duty-bound servants? Now, having said this, Senator Fessenden then mellowed a bit on the side of justice. He said, quote, Say what you will. Nobody can deny that it, this being the legal tender bill, that being the it, it is bad faith. If it be necessary for the salvation of the government, all considerations of this kind must yield. But to make the best of it, it is bad faith and encourages bad morality, both in public and private. You see, government sets the stage, doesn't it, with respect to morality. It was Justice Brandeis who said the government must obey the law scrupulously, for when it fails to do so, it breeds contempt for law and order. Even the kings in ancient Israel, our ancestors, uh, were taught how to sin by the behavior and example set for them by evil kings. Anyway, uh, Senator Fezzen goes on saying, quote, 
going to the extent that it does, this being the legal tender bill, to say that notes thus issued shall be receivable in payment of all private obligations, however contracted, is in its very essence a wrong. For it compels one man to take from his neighbor in payment of a debt that which he would not otherwise receive or be obliged to receive, and what is probably not full payment. End quote. This taken from Contest for Sound Money by A. Barton Hepburn, a vice president, remember, of a national bank, Chase National Bank in particular. This found at page 186 and 187. Now, according to A. Barton Hepburn, the author of that book, Senator Fessenden gave reluctant assent to the legal tender bill, but he opposed it by a voting by voting in favor of omitting the legal tender clause. Now, on page 187 of Mr. Hepburn's book, we have Senator Colomer from the state of Vermont, who said that the men of the period when the Constitution was adopted always, quote, entertained the opinion that the United States could have nothing else a tender, now a tender is an offer now, but coin. While they lived, there never was such a thing thought of as attempting to make the evidences of debt of the government a legal tender, let their form be what they might, end quote. Populists of modern day are undaunted by the sensible understanding of people like Senator Colomer, since populists prefer to believe that United States notes are honest money instead of being evidences of debt. Of course, if you or I printed up pieces of paper and tried to get those same populists to give us an equal dollar quantity of goods and services in exchange for them, they'd refuse to accept them for their failure to import a valuable consideration. Debt, after all, is a sum of money due or owing. Or simply put, it's the undelivered portion of an economic exchange. But when Congress commits the fraud, populists refuse to see it as such. Now, Senator Sherman from the state of Ohio back in the 1860s said that the legal tender clause was necessary to make the notes acceptable. Now, how you can force, now that's an involuntary act, force, how you can force someone to accept, which is a voluntary act, an offer or tender, he evidently did not explain to his colleagues in Congress. His willingness to use a power not granted in the Constitution, however, revealed the tyrant that lurks beneath the surface in many a man. Well, there's our music. Gosh, here's another break. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. You're listening to Datum Line. Today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 19. are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Welcome back then to this segment of Datum Line. 
Passage Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 19. On the front side of this last break, I was quoting, or I was about to quote, Senator Sherman from the state of Ohio. In the legal tender debates of 1861-62, and uh, he had revealed uh, a little bit of the tyrant that lurked inside of him, and I think lurks inside of virtually every man. Here's what he said, quote, This is not the time when I would limit these powers. What powers? The powers he only had were the powers that came from the Constitution. He wouldn't limit those powers. Rather, he said, rather than yield to revolutionary force, I would use revolutionary force, end quote. Now, remember, this was Senator Sherman who uh, presented uh, an argument on behalf of the bankers as being very patriotic. And see, they, they were backing the idea of a legal tender provision for United States notes. Anyway, former President George Bush, in the same vein, said that his job would be a lot easier if this was a dictatorship. And he was the dictator. This explains why he reportedly said that the United States Constitution was just a GD piece of paper. Now, on page 188 from Contest for Sound Money by Senator, or I should say by uh, A. Barton Hepburn, we find Senator James A. Bayard of Delaware, who spoke to the subject of contracts payable in money, as protected by the Constitution to which they had all taken an oath of faithful support, saying, quote, No one can deny the fact that in contracts between man and man and in government contracts to pay money, the obligation is to pay intrinsic value. If you violate that by this bill, which you certainly do, how can you expect that the faith of the community will be given to the law which you now pass, in which you say that you will pay hereafter the interest on your debt in coin. Why should they give credit to that declaration? If you can violate the Constitution of the United States in the face of your oaths, in the face of its palpable, that meaning clear, perceptible, and obvious, provisions, what security do you offer to the lender of the money? End quote. And keep in mind, the lender of the money was not just banks that he was arguing on behalf of. There were members of the general public who bought government bonds. There are members of the general public who do that even to this day. I think it's kind of a foolish investment, but uh, people can do what they want, right? Now, Bayard's, Bayard's words were indeed prophetic, because after the war ended, it turns out that resumption of specie payment commenced with less than a 40% gold reserve under former Senator Sherman, the same Sherman from Ohio, as newly appointed Secretary of the Treasury, while gold certificates were issued in excess of coin on hand to redeem them. So again, if men can and will violate their oath of office, why should they be trusted to faithfully keep their word in any other matter of political concern? A liar, you see, cannot be trusted with political power. Unfortunately, as the Bible says, all men are liars, but let God be true. Now, Hepburn, on page 188, like Professor Kimmerer in his book, Money, on page 239 of that book, 
found the words of Senator Charles Sumner worth quoting, particularly since Sumner voted for the legal tender bill. He said, surely we must all, catch that? Surely we must all be against paper money. Who are they all? Those are the people who voted for it, as well as the people who voted against the Legal Tender Act, putting greenbacks into circulation. He said, surely we must all be against paper money. We must all insist upon maintaining the integrity of the government. And we must all set our faces against any proposition like the present, except as a temporary expedient rendered imperative by the exigency of the hour, end quote. Well, how about that? Now, said Hepburn, remember now, he's the vice president of Chase National Bank at the time he wrote these words. Said Hepburn, in summation, quote, It is obvious that few of the men charged with affairs believed the Legal Tender Act constitutional. It was considered warranted only by extreme necessity as a temporary measure to save the Union and hence the Constitution itself, end quote. Now, how you can save the Constitution by violating the Constitution, Mr. Hepburn doesn't say. He does go on, however. On page 189, he says, <clears throat> quote, It will be observed that the Act, the Legal Tender Act, did not specify how or when the notes were payable nor was any other provision except the convertibility into bonds made for their eventual retirement. The power to reissue them, the legal, legal tender notes, when received into the Treasury contemplated their continuous circulation until Congress directed otherwise. The faces of the notes, he said, bore the simple statement that, quote, the United States will pay the bearer X number of dollars. Therefore, you see, they were not notes in a legal sense, were they? Do you understand the definition of a note? Is an absolute and unconditional promise by the maker or the drawee to pay a some certain money at a specified time to a specified person or bearer on demand? Since they did not specify how the notes were going to be paid, are they going to be paid in gold, silver, copper? Or what? Or when the notes were going to be payable, they were not notes in the full legal sense of the word. But nevertheless, they did promise to pay so many dollars sometime in the future. Now, President Lincoln, in his message of December 1862, this being to Congress now, referred to the currency or the United States notes as follows, quote, the suspension of specie payments by the banks, now that would be the state chartered banks for all you state chartered bank buffs, soon after the commencement of your, they mean Congress, last session, made large issues of United States notes unavoidable. In no other way could the payment of the troops, catch that word, the payment of the troops and the satisfaction of other just demands be so economically or so well provided for. I'm going to stop there. How he, Lincoln, managed to pay the troops with a promise to pay money. Or how a writer of bogus checks could likewise pay for his groceries, Mr. Lincoln apparently did not reveal to Congress. He went on to say, however, a return 
to specie payments. Listen carefully now. A return to specie payments, however, at the earliest period compatible with due regard to all interests concerned, should ever be kept in view. End quote. This is from page 191 to 192. This begs a question, for me at least, and probably for many of you listeners. If greenbacks were honest money, as so many Federal Reserve critics insist today, why would Lincoln speak of returning to specie payment? Well, because his administration violated the Constitution by issuing bills of credit, which are not money. Even worse, those promissory notes were issued without any specie on hand for their immediate redemption. The administration was backpedaling towards a solution which, as a precursor to the Federal Reserve System, would be known as the National Banking System, which would issue national currency notes underwritten by the U.S. Treasury's own bonds. Can you picture any big city bankers behind this piece of legislation? Here's how the sales pitch might have gone. Uncle Sam is bound by the Constitution. We bankers are not. Uncle Sam can borrow money on the credit of the United States, however, at Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 2. And we bankers can make large loans to assist Congress in times of emergency. The Civil War is the perfect storm. Why not a system of national banks to float a stable, uniform currency to meet all the needs of Uncle Sam and the general population? What a great idea, huh? The hole in their proposal, of course was that a banker's stock in trade is credit, not money. And the Constitution does not allow Congress to borrow credit on the credit of the United States. But few people back then, and almost no one today, can see the whole, since it required that we distinguish between intangible credit and tangible money. Most people fail to do so. And populists openly claim that credit is honest money. Wow! Incredible. Well, here's another break. Today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 19. segment of this installment of Data Mind, today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 19. On the other side of our last break, I was quoting excerpts from President Lincoln's address to Congress, this being in December of 1862, when he was doing a little bit of backpedaling. You realize, of course, that the Legal Tender Act that had been passed, or was about to be passed, was an unconstitutional act. And it was even a vice president of Chase National Bank, Mr. A. Barton Hepburn, who in his book back in 1903, the book called Contest for Sound Money, he himself acknowledged that probably almost everyone in Congress believed that they were violating the Constitution when they made it a law. Now, most populists don't like to talk about that. Uh, and the Lincoln administration had to do some backpedaling. And lo and behold, it would be that administration which would come up with an alternative 
Uh, and actually, it would be a precursor to the Federal Reserve System, and it would call be called the National Banking Act. And that was proposed and passed in 1863. And this is where Mr. Lincoln is headed in his address to Congress back in December of 1862. He continues, quote, Fluctuations in the value of currency. Now, he's talking about the IOU type stuff. That's the currency he talks about. Fluctuations in the value of currency are always injurious, and to reduce these fluctuations to the lowest possible point, why not zero, will always be a leading purpose in wise legislation. Convertibility, catch that word now, not redemption, convertibility, prompt and certain convertibility into coin is generally acknowledged to be the best and surest safeguard against them. Against what? against fluctuations in the value of the currency notes. Notice that Lincoln acknowledged it was the currency or the notes themselves which fluctuated in value, not the gold and silver. Well, why is that? Well, because banks and governments habitually issue far more notes than the money, the gold and silver, that they represent. And for the last 50 years, Federal Reserve notes represent no money on deposit. And those who pull the strings are not about to tell a victimized public how many fraudulent notes are circulating relative to the coins on deposit. Now today, all the notes are fraudulent because there are no coins, gold and silver, on deposit. But now, why didn't President Lincoln suggest that America cut all ties to gold and silver coin, like Bill Still would suggest, for example, in his book, No More National Debt? This would pave the way to peace and prosperity with what populists today call interest-free, debt-free, honest money. Well, that's because the trend in economic thought was to issue just the right amount of bogus notes, but not too many of them. You know the story. I'll only send a little bit, but not enough to get caught. Populists want to dabble in this realm of social engineering with what they call a scientifically or mathematically regulated money supply, or funny money supply in actuality. The Federal Reserve System is likewise centrally regulated. Now, you notice that it was Lincoln who suggested convertibility be prompt and certain into coin. He didn't use the word redemption, because redemption and convertibility are not always the same thing. A $20 gold coin, for example, uh, weighed approximately one ounce of gold. And today, it can be converted, not redeemed. It can be converted into Federal Reserve notes, but not at one-to-one. One-to-one would be redemption. So it might take 1500 bucks in Federal Reserve notes today to get a $20 gold coin. That's a, re that's a convertibility of 75 to 1. Redemption is one-to-one. -one. Okay? Now, Mr. Lincoln went on to say, we're still at page 192 in Contest for Sound Money, Quote, it is extremely doubtful whether a circulation of United States notes payable in coin and sufficiently large for the wants of the people can be permanently, usefully, and safely maintained, end quote. Wow, he said that? Yeah. But populists are persuaded that United States notes not safeguarded by convertibility into gold or silver will circulate permanently and safely as honest money. Now, obviously, we are not all on the same planet, let alone on the same page. So where was Lincoln headed in his discussion and address to Congress? Quote, Is there, then, 
any other mode in which the necessary provision for the public wants can be made and the great advantages of a safe and uniform currency, IOUs, be secured. We just got to have those IOUs. We, we, we try so desperately. Everybody you talk to in the in this realm of economic reform, they may talk about gold and silver, but they only give gold and silver lip service. What they want are IOUs, but they want good IOUs. See? And Abraham Lincoln was trying desperately to find a way to provide the American people with a good system of IOUs. So he's going to give you the answer, or he's going to give Congress the answer. Quote, I know of none which promises so certain results and is, at the same time, so unobjectionable as the organization of banking associations under a general act of Congress well guarded in its provisions. To such associations, the government might furnish circulating notes on the security of United States bonds deposited in the Treasury. This, he said, in December of 1862. You see, the national banking system proposed by the Lincoln administration was a hybrid Federal Reserve system. The National Bank Act was passed on February 25th, 1863, just two months later. Just one year after the Legal Tender Act. The National Bank Bill was introduced into Congress by Representative Spaulding of New York in the winter of 1861 to 62, according to Hepburn on page 321. For those of our listeners who delight in coincid the coincidental nature of political history, it was the same Mr. Spaulding of New York who reported the Legal Tender Bill to the House on January 22nd in 1862, as revealed in 20 Years of Congress by James Blaine, Speaker of the House. This at Volume 1, and again, quoting from page 411 of that book, published in 1884. We'll examine the Greenback period from his perspective later, but for now, you may find it of interest that Mr. Spaulding, according to Congressman Blaine at page 412 now, quote, had been all his life engaged in financial affairs. Isn't that wonderful? Was a banker of recognized ability in the city of Buffalo and enjoyed a high reputation throughout the state of New York for intelligence and probity. Probity. Now, that's a word we don't hear too often these days, do we, in our dumbed-down vocabulary that we've been given. It means honesty. We have a banker from Buffalo who's noted for his honesty? There's such a thing as an honest banker? Wow. He, now this is Mr. Spaulding now, quote, he had not waited for advice or even for consultation. But on the 30th day of December, 1861, the day on which the banks of New York suspended specie payment, he introduced the original legal tender bill in the House of Representatives, end quote. Wow, oh boy, isn't that something, huh? Wasn't that coincidentally insightful of a former New York banker, now turned federal lawmaker? He just happened to have that legal tender bill in his briefcase on the very day that those New York bankers, buddies of his, all agreed to suspend specie redemption. 
You believe it was an innocent coincidence, don't you? I mean, you don't believe in conspiracies, do you? What's a conspiracy? That's where two or more people agree to deprive someone else of life, liberty, or property by some unlawful means. Back to Contest for Sound Money by Hepburn, page 196. By June 30th, 1864, there were, in round numbers, about $650 million of legal tender notes of all kinds in existence. He goes on to say, from December 1863, the premium, premium on gold rose steadily until it reached 86, that's 86 percent, in May. In order to check speculation, Congress authorized the Secretary to sell coin accumulated in the Treasury beyond its needs. Hey, I hear music. Sounds like the end of our program today. You've been listening to Dataline. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. I hope this has been of interest to you. Have a good day. So long. begin to smell some funky little things going on let me share this story with you it's not so much a story it's something i wrote years ago read your history people stock markets collapse on friday bank seizures closures holidays take place after business hours on friday do currencies or governments also collapse on friday <laughs> tomorrow's friday Will the end come on this Friday, or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people, and the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Well, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge and are prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balance protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for a private consultation. Once again, our phone number is 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. 
Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste by going to rbnhemppaste.com. That's rbnhemppaste.com. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats. And even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. DrinkSuperTea.com. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back, 
uh, to the U.S. I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new Ease-Off drop and lift? What in the world is an Ease-Off drop and lift? Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my Ease-Off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com. And hurry, because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff, LLC, 417-932-6419. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Do you or someone you know suffer from chest pain, blood pressure, cholesterol, or irregular heartbeat? Are you looking for a more natural solution to overcome these health challenges? You hear the ads all the time. If this stuff's so good, why doesn't my doctor prescribe it? 
That's easy. Doctors are not trained in natural medicine. Extendivite Heart Tonic does want you to be as healthy as you can be, and it really works. Take Extendivite for six months, and your doctor will say, I don't know what you're doing, but don't stop. It's working for you. Get the dependability of Extendivite. Just see how you feel in six months. A two-month supply of either capsules or liquid is only $69.95 plus shipping and handling. Call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilajee as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilajee by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilajee literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilajee has been used for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the Gold Mountain and Medical Symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. The secret to aging like fine wine is in the vines. Syrah grape seeds and skins contain high levels of flavonoids and resveratrol. Fermentation breaks these organic compounds down into smaller molecules, penetrating these therapeutic ingredients deeper into the skin, delivering faster and more effective results. Our handmade fermented skincare products are formulated with all natural ingredients and do not contain any phthalates or parabens. Similar products can cost as much as $180. At Natural Earth Medicine, we source our ingredients from local Arizona vineyards and cold process our oils to ensure that our customers receive the highest quality product in its purest form. Learn more at our website and try our fermented skincare products today. Visit naturalearthmedicine.com. That's naturalearthmedicine.com. Kilad Atzman says the essence of Jewish power is the ability to prevent the discussion of Jewish power. Jewish power requires anybody in politics to understand it and know about it, but never talk about it. My awakening really sums up with the very best evidence, the facts and the truth about race and the fact that race drives history and the truth about the Jewish question. The younger you get, the greater the percentage of people who identify as alphabet soup, you know, LGBTQ, RS. This woman, she's like, oh yeah, I identify as a koala two years ago. And I'm like, what? A koala? What? Maybe if it was quickie koala, that might be cool, but otherwise, you know. How about an inward pass? Have you ever received an inward pass from any of your black friends? Biden invited a drag queen to come for the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. It's the Respect for Anal Sex Act. So, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's just call it like it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. Consider this. Dead people see only what they want to see. And frankly, most of us are still dead. Let me give you the lessons of gold and five easy lessons. Number one, don't buy it because you need to make money. 
You buy gold because you need to protect the money you already have. Don't ever look at the price as a barrier. Look at it as an incentive. Number three, don't buy its paper pretenders. We talked about that a lot. Buy gold. Buy the real thing in the form of coins and bullion. Fourth, don't fall prey to glitzy television or Facebook ads. Do your due diligence instead. And that's what I try to provide you with and have for 26 and a half years on the air. And 30 years in this profession. Fifth, don't allow naysayers to divert your interest. Allow yourself the right to protect your interests as you see fit. Jeff Bennett here. One of the ways you can do that is to contact Kettle Moraine Limited. Contact me by calling or texting me at 602-799-8214. 602-799-8214. You can also email me at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net. Let me help you protect your wealth and your family today. Once again, call or text us at 602 799 8214, or visit our website, Sierra Madre Precious Metals.com. Be glad to help you out. Be glad to answer your questions. That's what we're here for. No pressure, just good, hard, common sense. The decision then becomes up to you. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended.